The Miami Dolphins 2023 prospect spotlight series continues with Old Dominion offensive lineman Nick Saldaveri. Who he is, how he would fit the Dolphins scheme, and where the Dolphins may be able to land him in the 2023 draft. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami, welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. It's your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host of Locked On Dolphins, the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with Joe Marino, podcast dedicated to team building, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. Today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist to take you on a journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn today to get 10% off your first month. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today is Monday, April 24th, 2023. The 2023 NFL Draft starts in like three and a half days. Super pumped. So... We're going to continue on this Prospect Spotlight series that is dedicated to some of the more prominent day two candidates for the Dolphins to select to add into the mix. And we got a doozy today. Nick Saldaveri of Old Dominion is the subject of today's spotlight. And this was a player who really caught me off guard when I looked at the full body of work. You had a chance to see him go down to the Senior Bowl, and I thought he had himself a good week Uh, of participation at that event. But then you watch the tape at Old Dominion and you take into account they played Virginia and Virginia Tech, so you got a couple of Power 5 opponents this year. You look at the athletic profile. This dude, like, no one's talking about as a legitimate top 75, top potentially 84 candidate in the 2023 NFL Draft. I think he is that. This is absolutely a day two offensive lineman. And for the Dolphins, uh, there's some pretty interesting appeal here for Nick Saldaveri. So uh, we are going to dive in who he is, how he would fit the Dolphins system, and where the Dolphins could potentially be able to draft him, looking at him across the lexicon of all the other offensive linemen that are scheduled to be drafted on the first two days of the 2023 NFL Draft. So let's start with who this player is from a biographical standpoint. A former two-star recruit from Old Dominion. Uh, His other offers were marginal. Obviously, you end up at Old Dominion. But the important context here for the recruit version of Nick Saldaveri is a common theme amongst a lot of successful developmental types is players that were multi-sport athletes. He was a track and field participant. He did shot put and discus in high school in addition to uh, playing football, and being a two-star, two-star recruit. He redshirted his true freshman season in 2018. Starting in 2019, he he was a starter. Uh, so 11 games at right tackle as a redshirt freshman. 2021 started 13 games at right tackle. And 2022 started 11 games on the offensive line, one at guard and 10 at right tackle. And then simultaneously throughout the course of his career in stretches and spurts of games, 
he's kicked inside and played guard there as well. So you have guard tackle flexibility, which automatically gets you a gold star for the Dolphins. I mean, think about it. Liam Eikenberg, guard tackle. Connor Williams, center guard. Robert Hunt, guard tackle. Austin Jackson, guard tackle. Jesse Davis for forever. Rest his soul. Dolphins legend, Jesse Davis. Guard tackle, center. Michael Dieter, center guard. Robert Jones, guard tackle. The list goes on and on and on and on and on of this regime since 2019, and the players that they have traditionally gravitated towards are those with positional versatility and flexibility. Get your best combination of five guys on the field. Saldaveri, he qualifies. Uh, and there's a bunch of other guys that we covered with the offensive tackle group who qualify. Uh, I think there's some scheme versatility with some of the other interior offensive linemen. We've already talked about Steve Avila. Uh, who played tackle at a stretch. I don't, I don't think he projects as a tackle at the next level, but Saldaveri, from an athletic profile perspective, I've got his mock draftable chart up right here, which is all the measurements that he took at the 2023 NFL Combine. And you tell me. Six foot six. Amongst offensive linemen, that's 78th percentile since 1999 of offensive linemen to come through the NFL Combine and measure in. 318 pounds. He's got the mass to play at guard and handle heavy-handed interior players. 318 pounds is a very sturdy weight. 33 and a quarter inch arms. It qualifies long enough to play tackle, but it's not prototypical at 34, in which you might put the, the blatant and obvious observation that this is definitively a tackle, no questions asked. Some teams might lay having 34s. I don't know where the Dolphins are on that. I know he's long enough to play tackle, but he's... His arms are long enough to play tackle, but his arms are also short enough where the conversation can be had of, is he better suited inside a guard? You're in the 40-yard dash in 5.21 seconds. That's 63rd percentile of offensive linemen since 1999 to come through the NFL Combine with a 1.8-second 10-yard split. That was 45th percentile. So average speed at above average 70th percentile, 75th percentile size, 50th percentile speed, approximately. Here's where things get interesting. Both his jumps, lower body power, 80th percentile or better. Vertical jump, 31 inches is 83rd percentile of offensive linemen. 111 inches in the standing broad jump, which is, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do the math here. That's nine foot three. Off the top of my head, draft dudes do math. Dolphins do, does math. Uh, that's 89th percentile of offensive linemen at 318 pounds. 89th percentile. Uh, he did the short shuttle, the 20-yard shuttle, and he did that in 4.69 seconds. That's 60th percentile. So the only test that he did that he was below average was the 10-yard split. But I didn't necessarily think that was the case on tape. I think he's a much more fluid and dynamic player when you watch him on tape. So that's where things get really exciting for me for Nick Saldaveri is there's a certain level of untapped potential. And, and I know this is kind of a, you know what? I'll save the big observation that I have, kind of my one of my tricks of the trade with scouting. I'm going to save that for after we tell everyone about BetterHelp. Today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing, changing, and evolving. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we want it until we talk things through. 
BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are starting right now. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's done entirely online. It's meant to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any point with no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOn. One of my personal observations with scouting, I like small-time recruits. I like two-stars who end up being really, really good athletes and are late bloomers. Because the recruiting process at the high school level, especially these days, right? These kids are told from the time that they're 14, 15 years old, how you're the bomb. You're awesome. You're the best. You're the cream of the crop. Then you go to a school and some of those players, that continues to be the case. You're the bomb. You're the best. Because you're a five-star recruit. But some of those players, they go to those big-time programs And suddenly, they're not head and shoulders the best athlete on the field anymore. And you have to fall back on your fundamentals and your technique and your football IQ and your instincts instead of just out-athleting everyone. And sometimes those players, when they get to that level of competition, they don't know what to do. They've never had to apply the game through that lens before. They've never had to be a student of the game because they've just been the best. You get a scrappy two-star recruit who's had to fight, scratch, and claw to stack 318 pounds on his frame who ends up being a a plus-plus athlete with plus size. You know darn well he didn't get to where he was coasting off of natural ability. He's a two-star recruit who goes to Old Dominion. And those habits that were bred through him to get to this point as a two-star recruit who redshirted his true freshman season and has since been a starter at guard and tackle, are going to suit him well. Think about J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt was a two-star recruit. Late bloomer. Was originally a tight end. Transitioned to the defensive line. Became a fundamental student of the game because he had to fight, scratch, and claw. I think that those kinds of players and that pedigree really positions you, in my mind, especially when you end up having the athletic profile in place, to be a highly successful NFL player. And I see that in Nick Salvaberry. I want to share a couple of observations that I agreed with from a report that's written on Nick Salvaberry from one of my colleagues, and I want to give him a special shout-out because uh, I've gotten to know him quite well. Uh, Mason Johnston, I know he listens to Locked On Dolphins, worked with him, um, offensive lineman himself, but worked with him at Draft Network, and he did the write-up on Nick Saldivari, and he presented him to the group when I was still there back in, like, December. So, oh, it's a pretty intriguing cat, sounds like. Then you see Nick Saldivari in person at the, the Senior Bowl, and he looks the part, and then I turn on the tape, and Mason gave him a third-round grade. I'll give you that for context. But I'm going to read a couple of the the blurbs from Mason, and I want to credit completely. This is Mason's words from thedraftnetwork.com with his report 
that were the exact same notations that I made with Nick Saldaveri. But I want to give Mason a little shout out here and a little bit of love because he's a super smart dude. He really knows the game. Uh, obviously, he's an offensive lineman himself. He understands viewing the game through this lens. And I want to give him a little bit of love here. His game's really, really solid. Uh, the foundation is a pass blocker. Um, really stands out. Plays well within his body. Never looking out of control. Does a great job keeping his weight distribution consistent to avoid being overpowered. To add to his strong body control and balance, he plays with really reactive feet, making him able to laterally stem inside to counter outside-in rushes that he often sees when opponents realize they won't be able to get around him. Saldaveri makes his opponents run the loop and is able to wash them out of the play due to really strong punch and fast-moving feet. It's the feet with the size and the frame and sufficient length that really, really gets you excited. And again, this is not just lining up against Sister Catherine's, right? This is not lining up against FCS Northwest for those NCAA 14 fans that are out there. He did this against Virginia and Virginia Tech. And I thought he dominated Virginia. The movement skills with the feet really caught me off guard for a player who is six foot six and was taking snaps inside. Really consistent base. Really trusts his angles. Really trusts his own reactive ability and reactive athleticism. For a smaller school player who was a two-star recruit, I wasn't expecting that. And yeah, the, the, the Senior Bowl was a good spotlight to see him up close and in person. But... That environment is so much of one-on-ones where just the athleticism kind of naturally takes over. To see that same athleticism applied in a real in-game situation, game over game over game, I watched four and a half games. I kept waiting for like, okay, when's the party going to get crashed here and the bad tape going to show up? Bad tape never showed up. Now, he's not a perfect player. He's not a, perfect, he's not a player without his flaws. Uh, I, I think, and I, I believe Mason observed this as well, um, Pad level and consistency is something that is going to be a point of emphasis, especially if he ends up playing inside at guard. Because at six foot six, that's a large frame, that's a large surface area. You got to really have your hinges in line to make sure your your hips are down, you're bending through your knees, you got good flexion in the ankles, so that you have a good consistent center of gravity when heavier handed defenders in tight quarters try to punch and extend you and stand you up and get underneath your pad level. There were times in the run game where I thought that was a hindrance to him. But at the same time, you saw really good lateral flow. You think about the Dolphins and their zone concepts, whether it's inside zone or outside zone. Kind of the seamlessness and the fluidness of his hips to be able to get his hands latched and attached and then have a dynamic lower half where I can stay square on my target on your upper half but as you try to press upfield or scrape laterally or cut back across my face, my hips, as Nick Saldaveri, are fluid enough that I can still apply force to you if I have to turn my hips one way or the other. That really showed up on tape. Um, I think the consistency with his strike timing uh, is something that, that will be be something that you will want further 
revised, particularly if he ends up inside. So we were talking about the dynamics of playing inside and outside for Saldivarian, but that's part of the appeal, is I think he could do either at a high level. Saldivari, for me, when you place him inside, the timing's got to be more consistent because the pathways to the quarterback are more direct. If his strike timing's inconsistent off the outside edge, he'll always be able to fall back on his athleticism, get a hand on late, and run that player, try to run that player past the peak of the quarterback. I thought his pass sets were really good. You know, he was taking some wide-angled stand-up two-point rushers, and he's taking angular sets, and he's getting out of his stance cleanly, and he's taking efficient angles to kind of cut off that outside charge those wide-angled rushers are trying to take as straight line of a path to the quarterback as they possibly can. And as Mason noted, when you get that width and you realize, yeah, I'm not going to take the edge. I might as well counter back inside. Some of the offensive tackles that we studied, I mean, I'll, I'll pull up the names here just to be able to name them effectively. Think about Blake Freeland and Jalen Duncan and Carter Warren and Anton Harrison, to a lesser degree, I thought he was a little bit better at this, but th those players that are pretty reliably going to be there at 51, Freeland, Duncan, Carter, Warren, when they were pressed back inside, I thought they really struggled to stick the outside foot in the ground and apply force and flatten back out and wash and wall that player back off into your, your guard who's playing inside of you. There's no problems with that with Saldivari. If I were to grade him as, as a tackle, he, he'd probably be the best available projected tackle that would be available at 51. Now, I graded him inside at guard, but the, the traits are the same. It's just a different order of priority. And how he ultimately scores... I mean, the, the best available tackle that I'm projecting to consistently be available at 51 is Blake Freeland. He got an 80 out of 100. Where does Saldivari stack up scoring him inside and simultaneously scoring him outside? That's the question we are going to close with here on this episode of Locked on Dolphins. 81 and a half is the number. 81 and a half is the score that Nick Saldivari got. Uh, that projects him as an adequate level NFL starter from the jump in my eyes. But when you consider the untapped potential, and I understand this is an older player, right? He redshirted in 2018. It was a long time ago. I think this is cornerstone caliber ceiling with the athletic profile that Nick Saldivari projects. And if you put him inside at guard, I think you probably have the same ceiling as what you did if you played him at right tackle. This dude's more technically refined than Austin Jackson right now. And he's not as dynamic of an athlete, but he's comparable in size. You think about Liam Eikenberg. Liam Eikenberg came out and he was... Uh, 305, 304 pounds, 302 pounds. Part of the appeal of Austin was he was 325, right? Well, Sal DeVere is 318. You're not compromising mass in the same way that you think about 
John Michael Schmitz versus a player we're going to talk about next on our next episode of Locked on Dolphins, which is Joe Tittman from Wisconsin. There's like a 10, 15 pound discrepancy there in, in weight. You don't have to ask that question with Sal DeVere. This is a home run addition for me at pick 84 if he's there. Now, an 81 and a half, when you look at the Dolphins draft board that I have constructed here off on the side, he's in the same range as Charbonnet, Anton Harrison. I would draft Saldivari before I drafted Anton Harrison, for what it's worth. Keanu Benton, Luke Schoonmaker, Tucker Craft. I could foresee a world in which Saldivari is gone by 84. Would I love the value if he was the pick at 51? No. So he kind of gets into this, you're going to have to read the room. You're going to have to read the board. You're going to have to take inventory. Okay, how many tackles are off the board? We get six tackles gone already. When it's all said and done, if you get to 51 and Johnson is gone, Dewan Jones is gone, skaronsky has gone, Anton Harrison's gone, Roderick Jones is gone, and Matthew Bergeron is gone, or Darnell Wright's gone, say Matthew Bergeron's gone as, two, gone as well. So you have seven offensive tackles off the board by 51. And stay, say Steve Avila's gone. Say Joe Tippman's gone. And it's Sal DeVere, John Michael Schmitz. I have John Michael Schmitz graded as a higher player, but I think John Michael Schmitz probably has a lower ceiling as a scheme-versatile player. So that kind of gets you into the conversation. Okay, they're in the same tier with each other. Which solution, based off the evaluation of both players, gets you closer to a better combination of a starting five? That's their decision to make. We could cross that path if we needed to when we got there. But if I'm projecting floors, I think they have comparable floors. I think the ceiling for Sal DeVere is higher than John Michael Schmitz. Even though I have John Michael Schmitz graded as a higher player right now. It's really fascinating stuff. Really fascinating player. Uh, I, I fell in love with his tape. I was not expecting to fall in love with the old Dominion offensive lineman's tape, but I'm sitting here saying, man, like, I don't know that I would want to wait till 84 to try to grab this dude. But I also don't know that 51 is the right value depending on what else the board looks like. So that'll be up to the Dolphins to have to explore and ask themselves those questions and determine whatever they need to determine in order to get themselves aligned to get the right combination. But I think Sal DeVere is a potential solution that does not require the same level of urgency as some of the other players. But I'll also say this. If he's your guy, don't get cute. Because we just saw Cole Strange go in the first round of last year's draft. And yeah, that was a reach. By probably, you know, the, the, the Sean McVay reaction said everything. Here we wasted our time watching this guy thinking he might be available in the third round. He went in the first round in the 20s. But this guy's got better tape than Cole Strange did. I'm, I won't apologize for it. He's got better tape than Cole Strange. So chew on that and keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. It's your team every day. You can find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I want to thank you guys for making us a part of your daily routine. Shout out to the everydayers who are locked in 
with your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I'm Kyle Krabs. That is going to do it for this episode of Locked On Dolphins, and we will talk to you again later today. Until then, peace.